and welcome to Not Safe for Publication, a podcast about the lighter side of humanities research. I'm Anna. And I'm Althea. Today on Not Safe for Publication, we have Anne, who is going to be telling us about her research and her life. Hello, everyone. Hello. Can you possibly tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Anne. I'm from Canada and now study here at the University of Manchester with my lovely host here. I study history, looking at memorialization around the U.S. civil rights movement. Oh, well, that's like really close to what I do. Yeah. What, what is it you do exactly? So I'm studying how different ways of presenting difficult heritage are done and... Okay which hoping to be able to find some sort of comparative analysis, you know, like these are the strengths and weaknesses of each approach because that hasn't been done before. So it's kind of close to yours. Yeah. Is that like just in the American context or um, a bunch no, of No, it's not. I'm trying very hard not to pin it down to the United States. That's where my mind keeps going back to, but right. I don't want to go back to the United Fair States. Enough. So I'm really trying to steer it away from that. Yeah. Well, Britain has some difficult history that you can look at, I'm very sure. I'm sure British Museum has plenty of it. Yeah, exactly. I get a headache every time someone mentions that. Please, let's not do that. <laughs> no, I've been there about five or six times. And I think I've seen like two rooms of it. It's insane. It's very exciting to mm-hmm. see all the stuff. And once you get in there, you can just forget everything you are supposed to know as an enlightened scholar. Yeah. Because it's just so exciting. I shouldn't be saying this on the radio, but um, I was really worried about how I was going to feel. My sister was in London. She's like, oh, we have to go to the British Museum. I'm like, thinking, like, can we not? It's so problematic. I, I know. <laughs> and then I got there and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's the Rosetta Stone. And she's like, shut up. People are looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's useful, though, to talk about that, to kind of be more enlightened museum visitors and think about how these things did get here. How did you come to kind of do your research? Mostly out of interest, to be honest. My master's thesis was looking at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C., Um, So I've always been really interested in war memorials and memorialization in general. Um, And then it was kind of when the controversy around Confederate memorials in the States was happening that it just clicked to me that there's so much scholarship on the Confederacy and memorials surrounding it, but not to the civil rights and black power movements, which is good for me, but also difficult because I don't have a lot of stuff to read. How does it feel to be kind of coming into a field that is not very well studied and trying to position yourself in the scholarship? And what are the challenges and what are the benefits of it? Yeah, it's really exciting. Uh, I think it's hopefully we're on in a new phase of the scholarship where this will be more present, but also, like I said, very frustrating because I'm really limited on what I can read. And it's also you kind of wonder, is there a reason that people haven't done this? And am I setting out a project for myself that I could come, you know, to a dead end or it might not work out the way I planned. I've I've kind of found that in my own research because my supervisors are like, okay, you want to research how visitors react to the same sorts of issues that you've been talking about. They're like, you're going to need a lot of ethics approval. Like right. People actually avoid that specific kind of research because of the ethics. They're like, are you sure you want to do this? I'm like, well, I want to do it, but I don't know if I can. So. Yeah, and it's it's tricky because you don't know if you're talking to those people, is it going to impact the answers that they give you? Because they might be thinking about this and going through the exhibitions or looking at the pieces and 
their reactions might not be as natural as they would have been if you were just to eavesdrop on what they were saying. Especially if you're talking about something sensitive like race, because they all know what they should say. Exactly. And I think it would be very hard to separate most people from, like, what they know that they should say and what they actually think. Yeah, and I actually... this is an interesting conversation because it reminds me of the movie Green Book that has come out recently. Have you guys heard about that? I've seen it on the side of a bus. Yeah. Please explain. (laughs) So it's kind of one of these 1960s civil rights movies with a huge white savior complex. Oh, dear. Um, And so it's described as a movie that your parents will probably like, but you'll have a lot of problems with it. So, But I have talked to people who are like, yeah, I did like this movie, but... Like, they know that there's a Mm -hmm. controversy behind it and they have to explain that they're aware of these issues, but at the end of the day, they still enjoyed the movie, and that's the, the first reaction to it yeah that that's that's very very interesting and it's kind of related to what you and i discussed earlier today about um charity and international charity and depiction of white savior right because there was recently this news story that i was telling Anne about that bbc reported on which was basically a white broadcaster she went to um, Africa as a part of comic relief. Yeah. Um, and a black MP have commented on the fact that this is perpetrating white saviour image. And on the other hand, she was well-meaning in what she did. She was doing it for charity. On the other hand, you also have a point. And there, there isn't a right way of looking at it. It's very, very complicated, isn't it? Yeah, it's a tricky line I to think- balance. I think the Western savior thing is also a big thing because in the West we see that there is poverty in the world and we want to help, but at the same time there's people in those countries that are doing great work. And I think often the really great work that they're doing, knowing intimately the problems of the country they're in, intimately knowing the culture and what will work for that culture is marginalized in the media and so yeah we just we just don't have act like we don't prioritize that in our western media so we don't see those kinds of things coming back more to your research Mm -hmm. and the way you've been working on your project what do you think so far have been kind of your favorite things about working on it and your least favorite things about working on it uh i kind of it's kind of the same answer for both and i can explain that (laughs) so i'm kind of creating this uh database in just the form of a spreadsheet of sites of civil rights and black power memory across the united states which i am kind of a nerd like that and i enjoy that kind of work because it lays it out and it's quantitative and it's tangible where and in history that's pretty rare so i am enjoying that but it's also been a huge pain and i'm developing some shoulder issues from (laughs) using a computer and a mouse uh, for hours and hours of the day so it's it's tedious but i think it will help in the grand scheme of things and some other things i've really enjoyed is just reading a lot of newspaper articles about museum exhibitions or murals that I had no idea existed because they're not in the scholarship. This is mostly around Black Power and specifically Black Panther memorialization um, because there isn't a national memorial to to that. And that that's going to be a big part of my thesis at the end of the day. The National Park Service recently, or I guess 2017, pulled massive funding for a project to create a memorial to the Black Panthers in Oakland um, because some police groups wrote in, and they're hugely opposed to this because of the big violence 
uh, myth that's attached to the Black Panthers. The database you're creating, it sounds very interesting in terms of is this going to have a future beyond your project? Are you going to make it available? Because this seems like the kind of data that it would be very interesting if future scholars have access to it. Yeah, totally. I would love to take it beyond the thesis if I can. And I think just doing some graphing and hopefully some mapping, if I can learn those skills, will be really useful for future scholars looking at this topic. I think it's great that you're bringing quantitative research into the humanities. I mean, not the humanities at large, but I find myself frustrated often with how many descriptive case studies there are. It's like, okay, that's great, but what does that mean for the rest of things that aren't this one case. Totally. Yeah, and I think just to bring your research, I mean, academia is a huge bubble, and it's even more so in your department. And I think if you can present your research in a way that people can look at and it's accessible, they don't have to read a 20-page paper, I think that's really important. Um, I, I hope to extend this beyond just history, PhD in history academics. I think it's funny because I think you could have been a museum studies person like me. You know, if I had to go back and redo it, I might might have done a master's in museum studies and said, I think we can combine the two, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's funny because you and I, we have different titles, but we're pretty much the same discipline. Yeah, and I think it's, I don't know, I don't think the title means much. I mean, it could have been in American studies, it could have been heritage studies, um, but I think you just, you kind of put on, I was always on this track of history undergrad master so like oh just for some reason in my head i thought i had to stick with that but you can make it what you want really it's true Mm -hmm. well exactly it's very hot right now (laughs) (laughs) we are so hot (laughs) i mean however like history can be pretty much anything and that's Mm -hmm. what is great about history because history is study of the past but anything you like in the past yeah and it can be the past that happened 10 years ago yeah yeah and it can be about politics sociology uh, economics yeah i do find economic history very boring but um i actually quite like it (laughs) (laughs) but to be fair Um, i haven't had to study it in quite a few years so um Uh, it's that like absence makes the heart grow fonder i think so it's uh, yeah it's graduation goggles and (laughs) hindsight it's like when you get these certain expatriates who are always mooning over how great their home country was and yeah. yet they don't want to live in it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I suffer from that a little bit whenever I'm in the UK. I'm like, oh, Canada's the best. And then I go back to Canada, I'm like, mm, UK is the best. So the grass <laughs> is just always greener, I guess. See, I really, I always really enjoy kind of what comes out of it because I can understand where the conclusion comes from, where in a lot of other papers, it's kind of more difficult to, to understand that. On the other hand, I always am very cautious of the fact that actually in a spreadsheet, it's much easier to misrepresent something. Yes, yeah, because it is, so it's cut and dry. Yeah. And you don't really, you don't write in a piece of data and then explain it for a page and a half. You just pop it in there. I read a paper and I had, I had gone on Khan Academy to understand what a p-value was. And it was a good thing I did because the person they were interpreting data that was not statistically significant as if it was significant. Okay. And they're like, this has no statistical significance, yet it shows. It's like, no, it doesn't. (laughs) So what is a p-value? I don't remember exactly. This is shameful. I think basically it determines whether the data that you have collected could be due to something other than random chance. 
Okay. And so the things that they if so the things that they were saying this shows this were due to statistically random chance. Right. So I'm like, what is this? Like, yeah. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> sometimes you come across really bad papers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Have you found any? Um. Actually, like a, mm, not really, but more just there's not a huge scope. Um, so one of the major pieces that people write on is the Martin Luther King National Memorial in Washington, D.C. Okay. opened, I think, seven or eight years ago. Um, but I feel like I'm just reading the same criticisms of the memorial over and over again without anyone, A, like, choosing something new or be putting it in context of the hundreds of other statues of king that there are across the u.s and across the world uh so i'm hoping i can bring that into my research at some point so is this your first time living in the uk uh it's not actually i did a year abroad here in my undergrad um, in canterbury kent and then i lived in london for a year doing an internship at a photography gallery which was pretty cool um, and then I did my master's at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, graduated in 2015. So I've been popping across the pond a few times. <laughs> you, do you know where you want to live now? or? Oh, that's a classic question. Okay. You know, I'm not sure. I feel like as I get older, um, Canada just becomes a bit more appealing to me. Um, I think the quality of life is generally very good. There's more space. <laughs> to be free and you know if you want a yard or a garden or whatever um but there are parts of the uk that i do love so in an ideal world i would split my time between the two in an ideal world you would eliminate the atlantic ocean exactly <laughs> yeah and i don't know just bring everything i like together in one perfect place but global uh, warming is working t- against you i know yeah <laughs> it's just getting bigger isn't it <laughs> <laughs> Since we're kind of three internationals on this podcast, mm-hmm. I thought the one kind of welfare issue that we might bring up would be homesickness. Oh, uh, I thought you were going to yes. say bread. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, <I> no. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, no. We don't talk about bread <laughs> on this podcast. No, we need a break from it, don't we? <laughs> uh, no, no, I was, I was thinking, especially since bread. <laughs> it doesn't affect us no so. it doesn't because we're already outside uh, yeah so. i mean i can't be sure it could just get more expensive for us to stay here but who knows <laughs> i mean let's not talk about that yeah that's all right sad. homesickness that's a happier topic right <laughs> <laughs> homesickness i don't know whether you could call it homesickness because it coincided with like the 17 hour nights in the winter that we have here so <laughs> yeah like i went home and for two weeks and I didn't want to, as I put it, I didn't want to go home, meaning go back to Manchester. Oh, okay. And then I came here, and it was spring, mm-hmm. and so now I'm happy. That's about it for me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so weather weather impacts it, yeah. definitely. Have you guys, have you struggled with it, Anna, since moving here? I mean, it was five years ago. Um, <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been a while. I mean, I do miss Durham quite a lot okay. sometimes. I, I do miss home, it's just, I don't think, I think I went through this period of it being really tough. I think second year is usually what people kind of describe as the toughest, because okay. in the first year, there is this kind of the novelty of it. It's all new. And mm-hmm. you're really excited about it. And then you kind of learn about all of the 
problems that are there and you're like oh my goodness I miss home and then in the third year you kind of go back home and you're actually like oh actually I do miss a lot of things about <laughs> the other place yeah um so I feel like there are there are like stages of it yeah totally I don't know if you find this also and but I've moved pretty much every year of my life with my parents and then I've come here so I've this is my fourth international move so I mean I've been missing my family yeah but the United States has kind of been dead to me not in that like I hate it but in that like look I've already cut off living there forever right like, three other times mm-hmm. so it's kind of like whatever do you feel the same way about leaving Canada um I honestly I definitely did I think after I finished my master's program um I moved back to Calgary where I'm from for three years um and I wasn't happy about it but it was just kind of you know it's what you have to do sometimes but I think I it was hard because I really got into routine while I was there and like life's always easier when you're at home right like it's there's not as many challenges and you kind of just you know you get comfortable so I I did it I actually made an effort to make it a place that I enjoyed being in because I didn't know how long I was going to be there so I think it was almost harder for me to move this time than mm-hmm. it was the first few times I did it just because I had gotten used to it um, and I am really close with my family so it is probably more I miss them than yeah. I miss the actual place and you just miss like the comforts and I miss nature a lot and I, I think anyone who asked me how Manchester is I'm like it's great but I miss nature <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way do yeah. you? <laughs> yeah because I'm from I mean I've always grown up in the country okay so I mean I can walk more here just, I know that sounds strange, but we don't have the right to roam like you do in England and the United States. So, mm-hmm. like, you stay on the path because you never know um, what sort of weapon the guy is going to come onto his porch with. Oh, wow. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, everybody has a gun in the country, and you never know if this random house has a crazy person in it or yeah, not. Yeah, okay. It's not like you walk around in fear of being shot, but... I mean, you, you want to respect... But you kind of do. Because <laughs> you don't want to, like, make a crazy person angry. Okay. Has that <laughs> happened to you? No. Okay. No, but, I mean, like, it. you can hear gunshots in the woods sometimes when you're walking. And okay. And people doing target practice or whatever. Right. But, yeah, no, like, I haven't ever been chased with a gun. Okay. I don't know anybody Not who has, lie. but you, you want to be circumspect about these things. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I mean, I do miss trees in Manchester. Yeah. It doesn't have a lot of green things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it certainly has a lot more than Durham or the suburb of St. Petersburg that right. I grew up in. Yeah, no, it's a very exciting city, Manchester. Yeah, yeah it's really nice. I like all the walking. And mm-hmm. like at the beginning of the year, I thought I joined the hiking society, but then I'm like, wow, those hikes are way too extreme for me. Yeah. But then... <laughs> Doing all this walking in the city of Manchester makes me think, well, maybe I can actually join the hiking society over the summer now that I've gotten more fit from doing yeah. all the walking. So, you know, there's every time I go for a hike, I think I'm in good shape and then I go hiking <laughs> and realize I am wrong. <laughs> I absolutely love hiking, mm-hmm. but I, I prefer hiking in the UK so much because you're never too far away from civilization. Or a pub. Always a yeah. cafe. It's so. <laughs> So nice. This never happens in the U.S. because you have to drive, like, well, you don't have to, but you often do drive at least an hour to get to the good hike. Yeah. Even though you could have found one 15 minutes away. Yeah. And then, you know, you have to drive an hour to get to the Cracker Barrel restaurant. Right. Where you can have a mediocre 
meal yeah. instead of just coming back to this little stone village with a cafe mm-hmm. and all these nice things. Yeah, that is something I do love about the city and a lot of places in the UK is just if you if you're well located you can just walk <laughs> everywhere and I love that. I don't miss driving at all. Oh, I I I hate cars. I have a thing against cars. Oh, right. I think you told me this. Yeah. They they make me very ill. Just I was getting car sick when I went home. And I'm like, what? why? I'm like, I know the windy roads in the mountains, but I'm used to that. And the reason was that I had gotten used to the Manchester bus, which goes in a straight line at about, um, I don't know, 5Ks an hour. Right. And then makes one turn. And I got <laughs> used to that. So now we're on this road <laughs> going like, I don't know, 60Ks around all these curbs. And yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm so sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the amount of times I've gone up and down Oxford Road on a bus or walking, I can't even count now. It's uh-huh. insane. See, I usually go down Princess Street, not Oxford Road, and because of that, because um, I, I live closer to Princess oh, okay. Street, so it's kind of the route that I take into but town. Don't you have to get on Oxford Road at some point, right? No. No? no. Oh, okay. No. It's it's basically, it's parallel to Oxford Road. But if you okay. want the bus, you have to go to Oxford Road, right? Yes. But oh, I, I see what you mean. Like, okay. It's not far away enough, I feel, to, to go okay. and like be determined to get a bus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a 20-minute walk. I yeah. can yeah. walk that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Every episode, we ask our guests to tell us something funny about their research, and Anne mentioned to us that she's got a factoid. Yeah, it might not be horribly surprising, but I think it's kind of funny and interesting so a fact i would always hear about the city of edinburgh is that there are more statues of animals than there are to women which i looked up and it is true not that there is a huge difference i think there's four to animals and two to women but still pretty (laughs) shocking so then when i was um doing my spreadsheet looking at some of the southern states um louisiana in particular which had a huge civil rights activity and a very big african-american population they had i think five historical markers to any kind of civil rights activity but 20 to uh football team wins <laughs> well the football team is very important in the southern united states i mean i'm not i'm, sure. I'm not justifying that disparity <laughs> yeah but it is like it's like a religion like yes. i mean you you hear oh the bible belt in the southern united states no it's a they football worship belt. college football <laughs> That's where their heart is, so... Family faith in football. Um, no, that's like like I said, not surprising, but I it plays into a lot of stereotypes that I think a lot of non-Americans have about the United States, which is yeah. too bad. Do better, guys. Well, if it's true, <laughs> then it's not a stereotype, right? I guess that's what some people say. <laughs> uh, then it's just sad. Yeah, it's... yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's also interesting because it's the way people form their landscape Mm -hmm. and, you know, what things are prominent and what things you see every day. Because then, you know, that kind of reinforces the kind of stereotype that maybe, you know, the kind of feature that existed in this area. Yeah. And, And if you constantly see... Maybe if I constantly saw statues of footballers, I would have been more into football. We don't know. Right. I don't. I, <laughs> I know I wouldn't personally, but no. Um, no. yeah. 
But I think it's interesting because something I keep coming across in this research is how civil rights tourism has expanded hugely in the last, like, 30 years. So I think, like, capitalize on this. Like, why? I'm I'm surprised that there isn't more Mm -hmm. in some of these places. Mm -hmm. I don't know. From my research, I think that some of it is they're ashamed of what happened. Not the um, people who fought in the civil rights movement. But but the people who, like, let all the racism go down. Yes, and so they don't... even the people who were born like 30 years ago and weren't alive then, that's still their heritage. Yeah. And I think that it's easier to put up statues to footballers, which is something that everybody can be excited about. Yes. That has, I mean, not much to do with that difficult past than mm-hmm. it is to like actually deal with it. Yeah. And it's something that we can, like, for football, it's like, we won this trophy. Yes, we won yeah. something together. So we're all happy together. Uh, we're all yeah, working and, together. It's fixed. And no one can dispute that. Yeah. We won it. Yeah. Totally. So thank you very much, Anne, for coming. It's been really, really lovely having you with us. And it's been really interesting learning about this amazing area of research. Thank you very much, Alfie, for co co hosting. Yes, I'm Coco hosting. <laughs> Coco. Yes, we, sh- we should get hot, hot chocolate. That's, that's... <laughs> so, yes, thank you, Anne, and we owe you a hot chocolate. Oh, <laughs> lovely. This is not an offer to all the guests. <laughs> so just don't think that this is like, you know, when you participate in a research study, they give you $10 in coupons. <laughs> that's not what we do here. <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys for having me. This was fun. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. This has been NSFB Podcast. Don't tell your supervisor what you heard here. What happens on the podcast stays on the podcast. Mm. (laughs) Not Safe for Publication is a new podcast about the lighter side of humanities research at the University of Manchester. If you're a humanities researcher who has something funny to share, please be in touch with us at nsfppodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at NSFP Podcast. Have an adequately happy existence.